0: folks we're rolling now uh we are back in person and uh some online some in person so we're going to try and juggle this if we get a little clumsy along the way you'll have to forgive me but we'll do our best but again it's great uh to to see you all here tonight the topic that we're trying to tackle tonight i gave you a hint i gave you a hint over email maybe you remember it if you don't i'm going to say one more time the question i asked you the question i asked you over email is what is god or or who is god Okay, that's what we're going to try and answer tonight. And I'm going to start off by letting you know that my brother and I, I have a brother. He's uh, about 20 months older than I am. We grew up in the same household. We were raised by the same parents, lived under the same rules. We went to the same schools and even had some of the same teachers. And for most of our childhood, we even shared the same room. Okay? And what I find most interesting about that, and it's not just true of my brother and me, but it's true for siblings in general, I've found, is, is how different we can turn out to be in spite of all those things that remain constant, or th- that remain the same. Okay? And one of the most obvious differences between us growing up was our taste in music. Uh, when my brother first started to like music, he drifted toward what was called, back then, it's called the oldies. Okay. And uh, back in the, that was back in the 1980s. Now the 1980s music is considered oldies music, right? But the oldies back then were groups like the Beach Boys. And so you really liked the Beach Boys. I was a big fan of those. Now, unlike my brother, I liked modern music. At least it was modern at the time. Now it's part of the oldies. Uh, I like anything with loud guitars. That was, that was my speed, loud guitars. And if you grew up in the 80s, there was no shortage of groups that featured loud guitars. And one of my all-time favorite guitar heroes was a guy by the name of Eddie Van Halen and to this day he remains one of my favorite mu- musicians in fact uh, it was listening to him and watching him play that made me want to take up the guitar and uh, and start playing it my objective simply was to learn to play like Eddie Van Halen I fell short I'm just gonna spoil it for you okay uh, the this uh, this 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 mission that I had carried on into high school and even into college and I was in college and I had a guitar teacher who one day asked me, what do you want to do for a living? What do you wanna do for a living? And my response to him was, and I thought I was gonna make him proud by saying this, I told him, I wanna be a guitar player. That's what I wanna do. Now, you would think his, his next response would be, okay, great, let's get to work. But instead he said, this was, this was my guitar teacher, mind you. He says, okay, that's great. But I asked you what you wanted to do for a living. Okay, and, and what was the implication that he was making at that point? The implication he's making was, well, we can we teach a guitar all day long, right? Uh, and, and playing the guitar is a wonderful pursuit, but how are you, you going to put bread on the table? How are you going to put bread on the table? In other words, guitar players, most guitar players, the overwhelming majority of guitar players don't make a lot of money. Okay, now this was a bit of a shock to me. Because again, if your hero is Eddie Van Halen, who's probably made millions, I'm thinking, well, gosh, it's a great pursuit. But, uh, but I, knew, I knew intuitively that some jobs paid more than others. But I also kind of thought that any full-time job, I thought any full-time job would earn uh, enough money to have a decent living. Now, uh, that's not necessarily true, especially depending on the city that you live in. Now, here in Nashville, when I first moved to Nashville, I, I couldn't believe all the talented musicians that surrounded me right, that were all over the place, and each one of them had to have eight roommates in order to pay the, to pay the rent, in order to, uh, to, uh, to make ends meet. So you see, what was my guitar teacher asking me? What was my guitar teacher asking me? He, he was asking me a basic, fundamental question. He was asking me the first and primary question of career evaluation. Can you make a living from it? That was the first and primary question. Now today, we're starting a, uh, a new study, and it's, uh, it's entitled, Why Do We Believe What We Believe? Why do we believe what we believe? We're asking ourselves why we believe these things because, as Christians, many of us grew up in the church and around the church, and uh, we believe uh, some of the things. And in some cases, we might have just memorized the right answers, right? Or never stopped to contemplate the why behind them. Others of us may have come to faith, faith later in life, and upon our entry into the faith, maybe have this not total and comprehensive understanding of everything. Uh, but at least we understood our need for Jesus. We just understood our need for Jesus, but, uh, and that was enough, and that was good enough. And there are still others who may have been Christian a long time, and we had more than enough time to solidify our beliefs. But once we started to dig a little deeper, once you start to unearth some things that you read in the Bible, you start saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Those are those are two things that I believe about Jesus, and they seem to be a little bit uh, at odds with each other. You know, so which one is right? So in this study, we want to ask some of the most basic, fundamental questions of the faith, and try and, the, and try and ascertain the why behind what we believe. Okay, and, and so we want to start off by asking the first and primary question, just like my guitar teacher. What is the first and primary question of our faith? And this is the question I asked you over over email. I asked you who. Is God? Who is God? And and it seems like a pretty straightforward question. It doesn't seem like a a, a difficult question at first, and we'll get into that in a moment. But first, why is this? Why is this the primary question? It doesn't seem like a difficult question at first, right? And we'll get into that in a moment. Okay, but why is this the 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 primary question? Really quickly, you'll find in the study of theology, and if, if you break down the word theology, you'll see that at its root is the word God, theos right? And it's the study of God. In other words, in the study of God, his existence existence is stipulated. If you're going to study God, it's a foregone conclusion that you're acknowledging that he exists, okay? Now, if we wanted to, if we wanted to, we could engage in a study of apologetics and try and prove God's existence. But the Apostle Paul has an answer for that, okay? He's got an answer for that in Romans 1. And that's this. This is Romans 1, 19 to 20. And it says this. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And one more time, that was Romans 1, 19 to 20. And I'll have to since we don't have the slide thing up, uh, we'll have to repeat that so um, so you guys can follow along. So from now on, until we get the slide thing going again, bring your Bibles and I'll I'll holler them out. You can follow along. We're gonna be jumping all around, so try try to follow if you want, but otherwise uh, it's okay. I'll, I've got you covered up here. In other words, this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying it's inside of us. Okay, our, our knowledge of God, His existence, we know it. We know it. We we may deny it. But deep down inside, we know it. I don't care who you are and how loud you yell about his non-existence. You know it. You know it. So insofar as this study is concerned, what we're doing here today, we're going to stipulate his existence and, and jump directly to the question that I asked you on email. And this is where you're going to come in, okay, all of you. This is where you're going to come in. I'd like for you to tell me, based on what you've learned to this point of your, uh, uh, of your, in your faith, okay, who is God? Who is God? And who would like to be the first brave one to offer us a suggestion? I'm going to have to repeat your answers, so keep keep them short, the people online. But just give me, uh, whether it's a few words or, or one word, who is God? Who's God? Who wants to go first? Creator and sustainer of everything. Creator and sustainer of everything. Someone else. Anyone else? Who? He is love. God is love. We have a creator, sustainer. We have God is love, someone else. Looking online, see if you anyone wants to submit something online too. What you got, Kyle? He's holy, he's righteous, okay? Something else, anything else? Who is God? If you, if you have a non-believer come up to you and ask you, hey, so who is God? What's your, what's your primary answer? Your friend, okay, good one. God is your friend. I'm not, there's not gonna be any, I doubt that there's gonna be, there might be a wrong answer, but, but I'm not gonna humiliate you, but, uh, but what, uh, what else do you know, just from your upbringing, just from what you understand so far, say again, father, he's a father, anyone else, all great answers, all good answers, uh, and I, and again, I'm not, I wouldn't dare say any of them are wrong, uh, before I give you my answer, I'm going to ask you one more question. Oh, here we go. We did get get one online, and the online one was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ah, Father. So who is God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. Way to go online, folks. Here we go. I'm going to ask you one more question. Why do we need to know this? Why do we need to know this? Why is it important to understand who God is? Okay. You know, uh, football season is about to start. I don't know if you know this, I don't know, maybe you care about this, but football, professional football season is about to start. It's going to look a little differently this year, uh, but it begins this week. Now, imagine that you've never heard of football and imagine you grew up in, a, in another country, had no concept as to what football was. Imagine coming into this country and not understanding anything about football. Imagine getting off the plane and someone taking you to a professional football game and, and, and imagine they, they walked you right to the middle of the field in the middle of that football game, and they, they put you directly under center to play quarterback and say, okay, go. What would you do? What would you do? Well, you wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't understand anything. You wouldn't understand what's going on around you. You wouldn't know what you do next, and if somehow you knew to, to snap the ball, what would happen to you? Well, you'd get, you'd get mauled. You'd get instantly mauled, okay? Uh, you wouldn't be that successful. Uh, you need to first understand what it is what it is you've been placed in you need to understand what the object of the game is what what the rules are right and even after understanding that you've still got a ways to go to be successful in in the same manner you and i you and i are placed on earth you and i are placed on earth and it's complicated it's complicated and here's something from j.i packer he says we are cruel to ourselves If we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it, the world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way, you can waste your life and lose your soul. So it's an understanding of who God is that literally affects how we view the rest of the world and how we operate all through the world and how we operate in every single thing we do. It affects every single thing. How you and what you understand about God and who he is will affect everything. Literally affects everything, every component of your life, okay? And that's why we try and understand who God is. That's why we're doing this. Why do we understand who God is? And Christians, how we try and understand who God is, that there are five basic, these are five basic, we're gonna try and run through them real quick tonight, five basic truths or foundational principles of the knowledge of God that we accept as Christians. Okay, five basic principles. And I wanna walk through these really quickly in an answer to our question of who is God, okay? The first is this. Here's, here's first thing first. God has revealed himself to man, okay? Whoever God is, whoever that is, he has revealed himself to man. Can I ask you, how, I'm asking you, how has God revealed himself to man, to mankind? How has he done that? Through the witness of Jesus, Witnesses of Jesus that were passed on down uh, to other people. Okay, so through men, through his creation. That's really interesting. Someone else? We have through witnesses, through his creation, through Jesus himself, through the word himself, right? Now it's looking online, okay. Now this this might be a little bit of review because, I mean, some years ago, I think we, we covered this, But when we talked about how God reveals himself to man, we have two general classifications, okay? We put God's revelation into two categories, general revelation and special revelation. And you touched on both of them. You already touched on both of them with your answers, general revelation and special revelation. If you had to guess, if you don't already know this, can you tell me what general revelation is? Who can tell me what general revelation is. Say it again creation okay we see general that's that's an example of general revelation in in creation that the basis of general revelation is that god that god is the source of all truth god is the source of all truth okay Uh, and the metaphor that is often used to communicate this idea Mm -hmm. is that uh um, of a spring that is a source of a river so that the analogy is that, that god is the source or the spring of all truth so that God is not only the source of of religious truth, but he's a source of all truth. Not just the truth that we see in the Bible, but if it's true, it's God's truth. Whether you see it explicitly said in the Bible or not, all truth is dependent upon divine revelation, okay? You and I, you and I, we can't know anything about anything. We can't know anything about anything unless God made knowledge itself possible for us. All right? We have eyes to see and a brain that processes what they see. But if we're we're placed in a room, if you and I are placed in a room that's filled with all sorts of beautiful and wonderful things and and majestic things that our eyes can process and that we can see and take them in, so long as the lights are on. So long as the lights are on. But if you turn off the lights, if you turn off the lights, even if you have perfect vision, how much of it can you appreciate? The lights are off. What can you... What can your, <laughs> thank you. The air conditioner just kicked on. Oh, it just kicked off too. What can you appreciate if the lights are not on? You know, I don't care how good your eyes are. I don't care if you have 20, 20 vision. If the lights are off, can't see any of it, right? This is, this is basically the understanding of general revelation. The only reason anybody, Christian or not, can appreciate something good and wonderful is because God has allowed it to be so. All right? He's generally revealed this to everybody. Okay, so, so if general revelation is a revelation from God in the sense that everyone gets it, it, it's general in that sense. It's also general in nature, okay? General revelation doesn't tell us specifics about God uh, or his plan of salvation or, or uh, uh, it's just knowledge of a general sort. So, so what is special revelation? Special revelation is, where, where might you find some special revelation? In the Word of God, in the Bible. That's right. Special revelation is, uh, is, is something that not everyone in the world has received. Okay, at least not yet. It's the information God gives us primarily through his Bible, right? And I'll show you in a few moments, though, though uh, not exclusively through Scripture, but primarily through Scripture. So, so it's special in that sense that not everyone, not everyone receives it. And it contains content that is also specific in nature. So it's special in that regard, too okay, we can glean from it, uh, excuse me, we can't glean from it observing, say, nature. It tells us of, of God's specific plan of redemption. It tells us of Jesus and the cross, his second coming, and so forth. Much more specific than general revelation. Now, let me read for you Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 and following. It says this. This is Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 and following. Uh, this uh, speaks to this. Long ago, someone mentioned witnesses a moment ago, This speaks to that. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You guys touched on that too. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom and also uh, he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So you see what this is claiming here. We as Christians claim that we receive information from God himself. This is what we believe about God, that we receive information from God himself. And that information, that information is special. It's special far more than anything that we can glean from from a sunset or, or, or nature or creation. It's special in that regard. Okay. Any questions on that much so far? Any questions about my general revelation, special revelation? Hey, where are you going? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can do that. It's my son. <laughs> Any questions so far in general or special revelation? So far so good? Thumbs up? Okay. All right, good. Let's keep going. So that's our first claim about God. Our first claim about God is that he revealed himself through man. So what's our second claim? Here's our second claim. That God is Lord and King over everything. God is Lord and King over everything. Everything. And he has no equal. God is Lord and King over and everything. To underscore this point, I want to direct you to Exodus chapter 3, one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. And here's a setup of what's going on in this chapter. God has appeared to Moses as a burning bush. You know this account? You remember this account? And uh, he's telling Moses, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. This is Exodus 3, starting in verse 9. I'm going to read it. Exodus 3, starting in verse 9. It says this. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send to you, uh, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So so God is basically telling Moses here, you're going to go into Pharaoh's chambers, and you're going to tell him, you know how you have all that free labor? You know how your entire labor force is comprised of of the people of Israel, those you have enslaved, all those people? Yeah, you're going to let them go. You're going to let them go. You're going to let them walk, walk free. And then verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Don't worry, don't worry, Moses. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go before you. and, And when you're free, you'll serve me. You'll serve me right here. I will be your God. You'll be my people. Then Moses says this in verse 13. Listen to this. Then Moses said to God, If I come, to the people of Israel and say to them, if I go before all our people and say, the, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? I, I love that. I love that. It's such a human response. It's such a practical question. You know, you, you want me to do what? <laughs> Moses must be thinking, if I'm going to march into Pharaoh's chambers and ask him to, to release his entire labor force, you know, devastate your entire economy, when, when I ask Pharaoh to do that, when the people ask me by whose authority I do this, what am I supposed to say? What am I, who are you, Lord? What is your name? What is your name, Lord? What do I tell them? My, uh, sorry, Jack, but I'm going to uh, tell a story about you. My, my kids do this to my wife and me all the time. They'll, they'll seek permission from one parent, and if that one parent shuts them down, they'll think, hey, I'm clever. I'm going to go ask the other parent. You see how they do that? We're on to you. We know what's going on. And later on, I'll see them I'll say, hey, I thought I told you you couldn't do that. And the response, well, mom mom said I could. How do they do this, right? They're they're trying to appeal here. (laughs) They're trying to appeal to the highest authority is what they're trying to do. My wife, my wife, Trace and I, we share that role insofar as they're concerned. So my kids, to to my kids, the highest authority is the one that tells them yes. (laughs) That's the one that's the one they, they appeal to. So this is, what, this is what Moses is doing too. This is essentially, you want me to march into Pharaoh's court and do this? I, I can only do this if I appeal to a higher authority. And, and what authority is there higher than Pharaoh? You have to understand that Egypt, Pharaoh, this is, this is the, the dominant world power at the time. There's no greater power than the power of, of Pharaoh and, uh, and all his armies and, 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 uh, and power. Tell me, Lord, who are you? Who says that this is okay? God replies to this question, verse 14. He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. <laughs> you got all kinds of noise. I don't know if y'all can hear that online, but now the, the crickets are really coming out. That's not a technical malfunction. That's the cicadas or whatever. Someone quiet that down. Quiet. Most appeal to a higher authority, right? Okay, so what does that mean? You've heard this before. God saying, "I am who I am. I am. I am. I am." Has sent me to you. Why is this answer such a big deal? What is packed in an answer when asked, "Who are you?" says, "I am who I am." Can someone give me their best guess here? Why is this a meaningful answer? Do you know? Do you know Winston? Who knows? Anyone have a guess? Why is I am? What, is, what, is, what do you suppose it means when he answers, I am who I am? What's something that might be embedded into that answer? God, God himself was not created. He answers to no one. There's no one before him. There's no one after him, right? I am who I am. Anyone else? Good answer. There's no comparison. He's beyond comparison. Don't, don't try and say, uh, I was this or I'm like that. I am who I am. I am who I am. Someone else? Everything that is came from me. Great answer. These are all excellent answers. Someone else? Anything else? There's no debating that statement. It's 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 a firm statement. It's almost like he's putting his his, his foot to the ground, saying, I, You know, sometimes my, my, my kids will do this too, and they'll they'll appeal to me and they'll ask me why. And sometimes, what do I say to them? I said because i said so right it's an effect like that who are you i i I am who i am you know i am that's it that's that it begins and ends right here i am god god says his answer as an expression of of the present tense of the present tense he says i am not i was this but now i'm that right he never had a beginning like someone said and, and unlike everything else we know and see that had a beginning he doesn't This also speaks to his eternal nature. His answer speaks to his independence. Someone else mentioned that. But not just that he's dependent on anything himself, but that everything else is dependent upon him, utterly dependent upon upon him. He is constant. It's because of God that we're told in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being. Someone else said that, right? In Job 34, 14 to 15, we're told, listen to this. I love this. If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, like if he were just to pull back unto himself, all flesh would perish together. It would all end. It would all just stop. It would all just cease to be. Man would return to dust. And that's his prerogative. If he wants to do that, he answers to no one. He can do that if he wants to. Everything there is, everything that exists, exists because God holds it all together. I am I am is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence, and immediate presence. God's existence isn't contingent upon anyone or anything else. His plans are not dependent upon anyone or anyone else. So that's the second thing that we believe about God, that we confess about God, all right? That our Lord is king, uh, that our God is Lord and king over everything. Everything, everything, okay? Any questions on that point? Questions or comments? Anything? Online? Looking good? Okay. Let's keep going. We've got three more points to cover and uh, not a lot of time to cover. So let's get cooking. Here's the third thing we believe about God when answering the question, who is God? Here we go. Number three, God is what's, he's revealed to us. Okay. God is our savior. God is our savior. You know what I love about this one? It blows me away. I love because it blows me away. Uh, I love it so much. Do you know when I am most proud of myself you know i'm most proud of myself i'm most proud of myself whenever i can stay one step ahead of my wife whenever i can stay one step ahead of my wife i'm proud of myself if i can come to my wife with a problem but with that problem also bring a solution i've won i can go home you know i am home you know (laughs) whenever i feel i can do that i feel as i've really done my work for the day it doesn't happen very often i gotta say but when it does happen, it's a big deal. For instance, if we're having guests come over for dinner and she sends me the store because she's busy doing everything else in preparation for, for these guests, she sends me the store with a list and I'll get everything on that list. And once in a while, once in a while, just once in a while, I'll get something that wasn't on the list that she needed. Okay. Oh, I forgot to put drinks on the list. No worries. I got them anyway. I got them. Any- I, won! I did it. I did it. My work here is done, right? So, do you know what one of the biggest obstacles of the Christian faith is? Well, the answer to that is sin. Sin. Sin is the biggest obstacle of the Christian faith, right? This is the big objection. It's also called the problem of evil, right? If God is good, why do you allow evil to enter the world, right? That's an age old question. And it's a good question. It's a good question. It seems to make a lot of sense. Uh, If God is good, why does evil persist? Why do you allow evil to enter the world in the first place? Now, we could spend our whole time talking just about that and then some, okay uh, but uh, we'll, we'll probably get into that at some point in this study, uh, but but uh, to hold you over, let me just give you this much: God is always one step ahead, many steps ahead the moment the moment contemplate this the moment the problem entered the world, God also presents us with a solution. the moment the problem entered the world, he also presents us with a solution. Let me show you what I mean. Does anyone know, off the top of their head, uh, which account in the Bible, where in the account in the Bible do we read about the fall? Where, where is that in the Bible? Does anyone know? What book of the Bible? Genesis. Genesis. You know what chapter? Genesis chapter 3. The fall is covered in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, that's the account where sin entered the world. Uh, chapter, Genesis chapter three. So if the fall is the problem, if that's the biggest problem, what book of the Bible and in what chapter does God first tell us about the solution to that problem? Genesis chapter three. Three! Still the same chapter. That was a great guess. I would have guessed four too. Genesis chapter three. The problem is presented in Genesis chapter three. The solution is presented in Genesis chapter three as well. Three as well. With the problem, at the same time the problem is presented, he brings forth the solution. Okay, so, so when people start to panic about the, the problem of evil, why did God allow it in the very next sentence? He says, I know the problem. I see the problem. And I was ahead of the problem. I was one step ahead. I've already got the solution. I've already presented you with the solution. Uh, Adam and Eve ate of the tree that God uh, forbid them to eat. And God asked them, what have you done? You know, it's a funny question because he knows what they did, right? He knows what they did. But nevertheless, they blame everyone but themselves. Adam says, it's the woman you gave me, right? And Eve says, well, it's the serpent. It's his fault. And you kind of made the serpent. So, right? And what was God's response to this? Genesis 3.15. John 3.16 might be the most familiar verse, but Genesis 3.15 is the first proclamation of the gospel. Genesis 3.15 is the first proclamation of the, of the, of the gospel. Now, I, I don't mean generic good news. I mean this is the first pronouncement of Jesus as the remedy to your sin. All right? Jesus is the Savior to our problem. It says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay? An offspring of Eve is what he's saying. Your offspring, an offspring of Eve, will crush the serpent. Who is that? That's the easiest answer in the world. Who is that? Jesus. It's Jesus. This is Jesus. So say what you might about the problem of evil and, and why God allows evil to enter the world. But again, at the same time the problem is presented, he also proclaims, but I'll save you. But I'll save you. I'll provide you a savior, and that savior will one day undo everything bad. The clock of evil will wind backwards and will make everything new again. So so this is the third thing that we believe about God. He is our savior. He's our savior, right? Number four. What's the fourth thing we believe about God? We'll have to move through this one quickly as I wanna leave some time for questions if there are any. Okay, number four. God exists as, God exists as a triune God. God exists as a triune God. What do I mean by that? Speaking about the Trinity. Okay, God exists as one being, three in person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the word of of salvation is one in which all three persons of the Trinity act together. The Father uh, um, bringing about redemption or or, uh, introducing the idea of redemption, the Son securing it, and the Spirit applying it. Okay, let me ask you this, though. True or false? True or false? Is the word Trinity... In the Bible, true or false? The word Trinity is in the Bible, true or false? False. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Okay, so how do we know God exists as one being but three in person? You know, where did the word Trinity come from? While the word Trinity may not be used in the Bible, that's the word that Christians have assigned to what the Bible describes. Okay, for instance... When you open up the first chapter of John, you get a perfect description of the Father uh, and, and his uh, relationship with the Son. You've, you've heard the opening verses of, uh, of John before, right? This is John 1.1. 1, 1. You know these verses, I bet. John 1.1, 1, 1, it says this. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was? Who's, who was the Word? Jesus, yes. Good answer. Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Again, remember, these are the descriptions we've already applied to God. And now John is describing Jesus in the very same manner as he's describing God the Creator, right? In him was life, and and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when you read this, you get a description of the union that exists between Father and Son and even Spirit. And even spirit, when the, when the chapter begins, when John 1, 1 begins, how did it start? What were the opening words? In the, in the beginning. In the beginning. Does that sound familiar? Where else have you heard that? Where? Chapter? Verse? That's how it starts. That's how the whole Bible starts, right? In the beginning, that's how the Bible starts, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So though we don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, we get a description of it all through the Bible, of him all through the Bible. Also from the book of John, Jesus in the Upper Room Discourse, which you find in John 13 through 17, Jesus tells us all about the Spirit. And In his description, he tells us this. This is John 14, 15 and 19, listen to how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me you will see me because I live, you also will live. So you see, even Jesus' description of the Spirit, there's a sense of unity. The Father sets out to save, the Son secures salvation, and the Holy Spirit applies it to us. It's it's a covenant, it's called the covenant of redemption. It's the agreement between the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to to save humanity, all right? Uh, Any questions before I tell you number five? Any questions before we go on to number five? Online? No? Good. One more. One more to go here. This is the fifth thing. The fifth thing that we know and believe about God when we ask, who is God? God, this is very important, God, through his revealed, God, through his revealed word, demands a response. This is what we learn. God, through his revealed word, demands a response. Now, notice what I'm saying here. I'm not saying he asks for a response, right? I'm saying it demands a, a, a response of, of trust, obedience, faith, and worship. Now, does that sound a little pushy? <laughs> does that sound a little pushy? Why would I say demands? Because if God is who he says he is, if God is who he says he is, there can be no indifference about him. Okay, if he is God and he's presented us his plan of salvation, what option do we have ignoring it? What will ignoring it do for us? I uh, actually have a toothache right now. Okay, I got a toothache. And uh, I've been assured by my dentist that it's not serious, fortunately. Uh, uh, My gums are in good shape. I aggravated it by biting down really hard on a popcorn seed. Have you ever done that? I I know I shouldn't. Sometimes I chew them on purpose. (laughs) And I bit down really hard on it and it aggravated. I thought, well, that's it. And slowly but surely it started to ache over, like by uh, last Wednesday, I maybe felt Thursday, starting to get a little work, Friday, going into the long weekend. Going into the long weekend, I'm thinking, oh, this is getting worse, I think. So I'm thinking, okay, the dentist is now closed on Friday. That means I've got to wait Saturday, Sunday, Monday, because it's a holiday. So I called him on Saturday and left him a voicemail. I want to be first in line <laughs> when you open up on tuesday i know you're not there right now but when you open up on tuesday i want to be first in line it wasn't something i could ignore turns out i could ignore it <laughs> because the, the dentist told me you just it's like i've irritated it it should get better stay off it for a little while 10 days but again i i, I didn't want i didn't want it to be worried because you know i don't know if you've ever had a, a toothache before but it's not something you ignore it's not something generally where ah it hurts today maybe it'll be gone but no it starts to get worse and a little worse and a little worse. And eventually you can't put it off. You can't ignore it. You got to do something about it. It's the most amongst the most miserable pains in the world. Okay. (laughs) And uh, there's nothing, I mean, again, you get to the point where you just want to take a pair of pliers and, and, and take it out. You can't ignore it. The supremacy of God, the supremacy of God is something that you cannot ignore. What he's revealed to us demands a response, okay? In fact, listen to what Paul says. This is what Paul says in the book of Acts when he was addressing the Oropagus. This is Acts 1730. He says this. He's talking to all the smart Greeks right there in the the court, in the judicial uh, uh, court was was what it was, and the the, the place of the philosophers. He says, the times of ignorance uh, God overlooked, but now... He commands he commands all people everywhere to repent see that he didn't ask kindly he doesn't ask you to consider it he doesn't tell you to weigh your options he's saying now God commands all people everywhere this is the exclusion of no one all people everywhere he commands to repent why because God who he has revealed himself to me demands a response. If he is who he says he is and what he's revealed to us, that demands a response. Okay, so here we go. Real quick, real quick review of the five. The five things we believe about God when we ask who is God. God is someone who has revealed himself to man. He is Lord and King over everything. He has no equal. God is our savior. He exists as a triune God, and God, through his revealed word, demands a response. All right? Any further? I can barely see you all now. (laughs) Any further thoughts or questions or comments? Anything at all, either online or in person? What thoughts or comments or questions do you have? Anybody? Does it all make sense? (laughs) All right. Okay. Okay. Good. Hey, listen, as always, if there is further thought, comment, or question that maybe you're thinking about privately, but you don't want to share it in a group or through the chat, you can always come to me and ask me for a clarification or, uh, or further expansion on the idea, but uh, um, please know that my, uh, my door is always open, okay? Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you simply for who you are, and we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. And Father, we thank you that as we see in this last point, that demands a response from us. So, Father, move us to action, stir our hearts so that we act upon the knowledge that you are Lord and King over everything, that you're our Savior, and that you exist as, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that God who 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 decided to, to enter our life and and and, and change us. Allow that to move us to action so that we can share it with the world and everyone around us. We thank you for who you are and we thank you that you love us. We pray these things in the name of Christ and it's for his sake that we pray them. Amen. All right, I'm gonna stop the recording now. All right, there we go. Thanks you all. Good to see you all online.